0: everyone, and welcome to another episode of Art Blog Radio. I'm your host for today, Wit Lopez, and I am beyond excited to be accompanied today by Humayra Abid, an artist who was born in Lahore, Pakistan, and is currently working and living out of Seattle, Washington. I'm sitting in the Center for Art and Wood, and the show is currently being installed for First Friday, and it is absolutely breathtaking. The amount of mastery that goes into the work here is just, it's mind blowing. Absolutely mind blowing. If you don't know about the center, there is a small space in the gallery where there are objects that people can touch. That's called the petting zoo. And so in the petting zoo currently is a small piece of barbed wire, two pacifiers and a pair of dressmakers shears, which are a pair of scissors. And all of them, every single one of them is handmade out of wood, and they look true to life, and they're beautiful. The scissors are actually, you know, they're actually articulated. They can open and close. They fit comfortably in the hand, um, and so I'm, I'm extremely impressed by the amount of craft that went into this work. Uh, the show is called Searching for Home, and it focuses on the refugee crisis specifically around women and girls and, uh, and how they're impacted. So, Humaira, I want to welcome you. Thank you for you know, allowing me to be in the space with your work. Welcome.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: Oh, no problem. So, what got
1: you into Wood at first? So, I went to art school against the wishes of my family <laughs> and when I was in art school everybody warned me not to take sculpture as your major, being physically challenging for women. And I got so many warnings, I said I have to see what's so tough about it, <laughs> so I took it as a challenge. And when I was in the sculpture department, I noticed that there are, there are not many people working in wood, especially women, and I felt there was a lack of woman's voice so i was passionate about women issues so i thought what better medium than a male dominated medium right uh, so i that's why i chose it and i'm continue i continue to be passionate about it it's amazing
0: and it's it's very obvious that you are extremely passionate about this because of the detail in this work like i am i am completely flabbergasted like I, <laughs> when Thank I, you. when i when i saw the barbed wire hanging I thought it was rusted barbed wire, and so, I mean, also I need glasses. So. <laughs> but when I got close and I saw that the barbed wire is crafted out of wood, I was like, what? This is amazing. It's, it's really beautiful. And so there's a piece of it also in the petting zoo, and it's made out of walnut it's mahogany wood
1: mahogany okay okay yeah, it's one of the works i'm very proud of it took me 3 years uh, wow. took a lot of research experimentation but i was able to do it wow that's amazing
0: 3 years 3 years so so 3 years for the whole installation of the barbed wire or 3 years doing the research to yes yeah, so it?
1: the first 6 months it was mostly research developing the idea and then also convincing my assistant, because he thought I was crazy. <laughs> so then uh, I, when he knew that I had to do it, and there was no other way that he could convince me not to do it. So then he agreed to do it, and we spent another six months doing different experimentation how to make it work, mm. And but once it was figured out, then it became just a matter of labor you know mm. so it took us another year but after like a year and a half i just had like a small piece of power wire tiny piece wow. like 12 inches or something wow but then we had figured out you know the execution issues and ex- we knew how to do it so then it was only the matter then another year a year and a half to make uh, almost 400 feet of power wire
0: wow that is that's amazing. That is so amazing. It's also a very long time. So you know, bless you for your dedication. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so I, while I was walking through the gallery, I noticed that there's a pile on top of uh, a, a short pedestal on the floor. It's a pile of what looked like bricks yeah. and shoes. Uh, there's also a couple of other things like a, a cell phone, um, a pair of broken glasses. Um, a few other things in yeah, the pile toys, as well. As well. Yeah so, toys wallets so yes
1: yeah, so I when I looked at uh, images of l- home left behind like a place which would be destroyed by let's say war mm. uh, and sometimes even living in Pakistan there were a lot of attacks on mosques and many public places so this was what I saw lefto- broken buildings l- bricks and leftover items from people who have been killed or wounded so I decided to do it and also after a few years I became known for uh, transforming a very solid quality of wood into very liquid like very soft like so I said hmm so what can I do different so I said okay (laughs) let's do bricks so I decided to go in the reverse uh, direction and make something hard Mm. so how could I make it look really hard like stone you know or like a brick absolutely so I I started with a small installation and I kept expanding it mm. so I first did in 2014 a smaller version and then I expanded it for next three years Wow
0: it's amazing so for those of you who are listening uh, the piece looks like a pile of bricks and a pile of other things left behind by people as we might have said but if you look at the bricks the quality of the texture looks like a brick, like it looks like an actual brick. And the shoes in juxtaposition to the bricks and the, the hardness of the bricks, as Humada said, the shoes actually look like they're fabric. They actually look like they're made out of, you know, shoe materials, cloth, leather. It's really amazing to see a flattened woman's ballet shoe against a brick and both of them are made out of wood it's amazing like you you have to come see this in person to really see all of the work that went into that so how long did it take you to uh make those shoes uh
1: different uh, periods for different Shoes, uh, it's so hard for me to give timeline because I'm often working on multiple pieces. Yeah. So it's hard for me to say, okay, I spend like three weeks on this piece, but yes, yeah, sometimes it's few days, sometimes it's few weeks, and in some cases, few years, so. Wow. So, um, yeah, every piece has a challenge because they are unique, they are all different. Definitely. No, they absolutely
0: are so I saw um, on one of the pedestals close to the floor near the front window looks like watering cans
1: possibly. oh the, the difference to carry lunch yes yes so we have those in Pakistan to carry lunch so I saw them growing up we had two at home also whenever someone was admitted in hospital or was going on a trip we would pack food for them so this uh, in my mind, felt very very uh, relevant to the theme of migration and journey. So I did a 23. There are 23 in number. And instead of food, you can see there are some syringes and medicines and pacifiers, mm-hmm. which also represent you know kind of difficulty of the journey. If you have any medical condition, if you have a young child, um, so just portraying all the difficulties and challenges of a journey, especially for refugees, for Im- immigrants who are moving from one place to another, there is a limitation how much they can take with them. So it's just a representation, symbolic representation of all the things they can carry and they cannot.
0: Mm. Wow. That's amazing. That's amazing. Thank you. Absolutely. It's mind blowing like this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm sitting here, I'm just thinking about it. Being, because, yeah, you're absolutely right. And I, I feel like a lot of times people don't think of, when it comes to a journey, you mentioned the medication and the syringes. And when we think of journeying, a lot of times it ends up being people who are able-bodied and well that we think of immediately when we think of journeying. Mm-hmm. So we don't think about the difficulty that people who are disabled and sick might have, even though they too need to journey sometimes.
1: Yeah, and especially for women. I mean. I was, when I was doing my research, I couldn't find information on women challenges, like what if they had a young child, they were mm-hmm. pregnant, or even if they had menstrual cycle, what did they do to get right. by that time? Right. So, I, and then I said, okay, I can't find this these answers, maybe I need to go talk to women who have been migrated from, or especially refugee women, because their situation is different. They suddenly mm-hmm. have to leave often, and they have such a limitation of what they can take with them. So I went to some centers and I talked to them. And I remember one of the refugee centers for women in Pakistan, where we have a lot of refugee women from Afghanistan, some of them said they didn't even have time to wear their shoes, they just had to run. They had nothing Mm -hmm. at all. And they had to cross borders, so they were on a run for days.
0: And Mm -hmm.
1: uh, their superintendent in that center said, we have received some women covered with blood. Because when they had their menstrual cycle, they had actually literally nothing. Wow, so I mean, this tells you about the struggles of women, you know absolutely, and it's often the male member of the house who gets to tell the story, who yes. also gets to make the decision what they can take with them if they are right. moving as a family right. so I have always been interested in women issues and women's side of the story absolutely, so this is my attempt on telling those stories which might otherwise not have been told or not as much, you know, for example the situation of rape and child molestation and women Mm. molestation in refugee camps as well as at the time of war, nobody is really talking about them. So if you say it's a 30 feet long barbed wire fence, but at one point there is uh, an underwear hung which has a red stain on it, it is to bring attention to uh, the big issue of rape, which is one Mm. of the biggest crimes of war. Absolutely. And Absolutely. if you read women's stories, uh, there is a book called um, A Camel for a Son. It's stories of women who are in refugee camps in Kenya. And it, they often talk about they were raped when they were running at the time of war. And then at the border, they were raped when they came to refugee camps, they were raped by the locals. Mm. So it's like their torture or their struggles never ended and they they were they were being used or they were being misused over and over just for being women just maybe considered weak absolutely that's mm,
0: it's terrible it, it's it's a really terrible state of how folks are treated in refugee camps a place that's supposed to be shelter and yeah. a, a sanctuary almost away from the violence to only be put into a space where they continue to experience violence. Yeah. So what made you choose the theme of searching for home?
1: So I my parents were refugees as, a, as kids at the time of partition between India and Pakistan. They moved from India to Pakistan with their family. Um, so I grew up hearing stories of migration. And then when I was growing up, um, Until 2013, Pakistan was on top of the list for taking maximum number of refugees. It still is in top five, uh, mostly from Afghanistan and some neighboring countries. So growing up, I saw a lot of refugees around me struggling, trying to make home again. And then I migrated to U.S. uh, about 12 years ago. And when I moved here, I started thinking about this a little bit more because whenever I visited Pakistan, everybody here would say, oh, you are going back home. And at that time, after a few years, I started feeling like this was my home too in Seattle mm. and in U.S. So I started uh, this started a dialogue in my mind: what's home for people? Is it a place where you are born, or is it a place you feel you belong? So that started this conversation and beginning of this show, um, and I decided to talk about different aspects of it from a refugees, from an immigrants' point of view. Uh, for me, it was out of choice, but for a lot of people, it's not out of choice. They have to leave their home, leave everything behind, and make their life in a new home again, or or they're in search of a home again.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. wow thank you for explaining that. I appreciate it. So on another pedestal on the floor are luggage or... Bags that people would use to carry something. There's even a bundle, a tied bundle. Uh, the detail in those <laughs> in those items, the fact that the wheels on the bottom of the suitcase actually work <laughs> is amazing. The the carving, the flower carvings into the blouse that's folded inside of a suitcase, amazing. That takes a lot of skill and a lot of thought what because i I've, se- I've seen other things carved i've seen other people carve things there's plenty of woodworkers and sculptors working in wood in the world but sometimes you get a piece that's made and it doesn't open right it's it's a suitcase but it doesn't actually have a latch mm-hmm. that opens the latch is just carved onto it or or it's a bag but there's nothing inside of the bag it's just a bag carved by itself so what uh what was the thought process behind creating a piece of luggage where the wheels actually work and a piece of luggage that can actually open to reveal carved wooden clothing inside of it. What was that thought process?
1: So I will give some credit to my uh, miniature painting training too. In art school I took sculpture as my major but all three minors I took miniature painting because these were the two mediums I was mostly interested in. So in miniature painting I learned details. I learned patience. Mm. Uh, And this helps me even when I'm making sculpture. Uh, Details are important for me. And because I got my training for patience from miniature painting, so I can spend a lot of time and do all the details. So I think both of my mediums help each other in a a way that, you know, is to my benefit. And about... uh, suitcases and why one is open in the beginning i actually thought about making bags different kind of bags that people carry when they are moving sometimes it's a very small bag sometimes it's a medium size but there is such a limitation what they can take with them and i i wanted to keep it as a like a secret like because everybody uh, has their own choice what they can take with them but after doing some interviews and research, I found out that there is no secret to it. All they can take with them is you know, some clothes, some items of daily use, and maybe an item to remind them of home and their family or there some memory. So I decided to make one open suitcase because mm. there is no secret in it what they can take with that. Because when I was talking to them and I was asking this question, what could you bring with along when you were moving? It was all similar.
0: That makes a lot of sense. Thank you for explaining that. Yeah, you're welcome. You mentioned your background in miniature painting. Will this exhibition have any of your paintings in it, any of these miniatures?
1: Yes. So, uh, for past few years, since I continue to be passionate about miniature painting and sculpture, I decided to blend them. 2007 was the first time I started blending miniature painting and sculpture. And uh, for past few years, I decided to push the boundaries of my mediums. So I'm doing, especially for this show also, there are mostly, there are actually, initially there were seven, now there are ten installations. And in my installation work, I often combine sculpture and miniature painting. So even in the suitcase, you will see there will be a small painting. Uh, you didn't see it because we are still installing the work. <laughs> and then there are some pieces which are like rear view mirrors but they have paintings, paintings of uh, burning homes or mm. what they are leaving behind. It's like the troubles, the misery that they had to go through. And although it's probably left behind, but it leaves such a such an, you know, big mark on them and their life and their experience that it becomes part of their life. It's like whenever they look back, it becomes like a memory for them. Mm. So I have some of those works. There is another piece which is like a swing and the swing is carved out of wood and it's hung from ceiling but then there is a painting on the flat side of a young girl who is surrounded by a cactus garden so from a distance it looks like a very lush very pretty garden but actually it's a cactus garden which has thorns (laughs) in it and the title is the world is beautiful and dangerous too So it's like no matter how safe of a world you give to your kids, it's still dangerous even in U.S. You know, you know about the shootings in schools Absolutely. and then there was a big shooting in Pakistan a few years back in which over 140 young kids were killed by Taliban. So some of my works are inspired by or affected, I was deeply affected by that incident and that's when I started working on those. So they talk about the, you know, that mass murder at that time and young kids, you know, innocent yeah. kids. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: so yes, yeah, some of those works combine sculpture and miniature painting. I, I try to blend them together, not just to uh, push the boundaries of mediums, but also to enhance viewers' experience.
0: It absolutely does. That's what I think, I mean, the, the difference in the two media can absolutely ex- uh, impact the viewer's experience. Thank yeah. you for explaining that. So you mentioned that your first time blending miniature paintings and sculpture was in 2007.
1: Correct. So I went to India for a residency, and I'm also interested in duality of meanings. And while I was in India, I learned that there is a word istri, which they use for women and wives, "stri," And we use that word for smoothing iron in Pakistan. Mm. So I said, wow, I mean, why would they call woman Istri, you know, we use that to iron clothes, and I started asking people. So they were not 100% sure because it's a very old historical word, but they thought probably it was a job of a woman to iron clothes. So that's how she got that name. So I said, wow, that gave me an opportunity to combine. So I carved smoothing irons out of wood, and I made miniature paintings based on women issues and placed them on the flat side. So that's how I combined the first time. Wow. So since then I have been thinking about how can I do it more, how can I, you know, do it on larger scale and push the boundaries even more. So this series is a good example, but I have done it in installation based work. Definitely.
0: How do you feel that your practice has shifted or changed or expanded in the past 13 years since that first show? I know you mentioned things getting larger, larger scale, but
1: have there been any other shifts for you? Uh, yes, yeah, so I'm one thing I've told myself that my new work should be better than my previous work, <laughs> so it's a challenge I've given to myself, so it's not easy. so yes, yeah, so I keep on pushing the boundaries of medium and concept, both mm. um, so i'm I keep exploring new ideas, new relevant themes, for example, I mean you know, the refugee and immigration, this is still very relevant. So I started working on this series uh, after 2014, like 15, 16, and then I had a show in 17. And then we decided to add more installations. I had a lot of discussions with my curator and decided to tour the show. So at that time, I thought, okay, I need to keep my work relevant. And still, because this issue continues, so then I decided to add, for example, I earlier I did paintings of girls in refugee camps, and then I said, okay, I need to do paintings of girls now in detention centers. Mm. And then you know, after that, initially it was some countries, and then we started hearing about what's happening with Rohingya Muslims in Burma, Myanmar, and then what's happening in now China, and then recently hearing about. Uh, detention centers and camps in India. So it's kind of spreading rather than, you know, being, improving. So this situation, which is sad, but then as an artist, I feel it's my responsibility to highlight these issues. So I'm focusing on, uh, by expanding the works and adding more works into the series. That's great. And I'm also,
0: I'm glad that you're highlighting these atrocities that are, Happening and that you also feel that it's your duty to make that statement. Uh, I, think, I, I think that it's important for artists to make statements when it comes to the sanctity of human life. Correct. So I'm, I'm glad.
1: Thank yeah. you. And also, you know, I feel uh, as artists, we have some advantage because through the beauty of our medium, you know, we can bring the audience closer. It makes it easier for them to open these conversations.
0: Absolutely. So I noticed that while you're also a painter, your wooden pieces are not painted. Many of them also don't seem to have a finish on them. They seem to just be the natural wood. So is there a reason why, as a painter also, that you choose to leave the wood natural and that you don't have it uh,
1: finished? So some of my work has uh, just some preservative oil, some not even that. Um, when I am working on a series, I keep thinking how can I, what can I do to make it more effective. So sometimes that that kind of translates my decision if uh, how I should leave it. But yes, it's my conscious decision that I'm not going to cover my wood because my objects are recognizable objects. They are everyday objects, like a pacifier or scissors, and I'm already carving them in wood. So if I paint them, then what am I doing different? I mean, the, the presence of grains makes it more unique, but gives it a voice, but also makes it more like a living, because wood is a living material. Hmm. So it's more relatable, and also I use tones of wood to represent, like, you know, if it's a pine wood, it's like a skin tone, and then if it's a darker tone, I use sometimes darker tones for darker skin tone, so it's it's an interesting decision for me also in the process, but yes, I want to give respect to the medium, but also make it effective.
0: That makes a lot of sense, makes a lot <laughs> of sense, and honestly, I... I personally love that it's wood because it's so, the shapes of what you have made are so true to life. That seeing the grain of the wood in the shapes reminds you that this took so much, a lot of work. It took someone's yeah. education and time, you know, and patience yeah. to make these things. So this is amazing. I keep I keep picking up the, the pair of dressmaker shears because I'm so... Impressed. I'm,
1: so, I'm so impressed. I like to surprise my audience, you know, so yeah. So I mean, because there are recognizable objects, things that you can relate to. So the mind sometimes cannot wrap around. I mean, you can see grains, you yes. know it's wood, but you can't believe it and you want to touch it. So it's like, you know, giving uh, an extra, adding an extra element of surprise into the work. And I love that as an artist to surprise my audience.
0: It definitely is,
1: surprising. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.
0: In, in a really, really wonderful way. Thank you. Uh, So, related to the show, do you have any talks or any workshops? I know sometimes the center um, gives artists the space to teach a workshop or to do a talk or something. Do you have any workshops coming up associated with this exhibition?
1: So, the opening is on Friday. So, Friday morning, we'll do a walkthrough, and then on Saturday at... PAFA, Pennsylvania Academy of Arts, we have a talk, a panel discussion, um, and then I will come back in April for the closing ceremony, and then we have another panel discussion. And in between, the center will organize some events around the themes. Um, yes, so there are programs I will highly recommend checking the website of uh, Center for Art and Word for details and for the educational programs and different talks.
0: That's great, that's that's really exciting. I'm definitely looking forward to these talks and to the workshops that are gonna be surrounding this exhibition. That the name of the exhibition again is Searching for Home. It is on February 7th, it opens on February 7th and it goes all the way through April 18th of this year, 2020. So please come down to the Center for Art and Wood, which is located at 141 North 3rd Street in the Old City section of Philadelphia. They're usually open between Tuesday and Friday from 11 to 5 and Saturdays 11 to 6. Please come down and see Searching for Home by Humayra Abid. Humayra, thank you so much for joining me today on Art Blog Radio. This has been an absolute pleasure and to see your work being installed, to see the detail that went into it and the amount of craft that you have and brilliance is really amazing. It's really amazing.
1: Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure talking to you.
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much. I'm really looking forward to it. And folks, come down here this Friday, February 7th for First Friday, to see the amazing work that's here at the Center for Art and Wood. Thank you to the Center for allowing me to record in their space. You can listen to this podcast on Art Blog's website. You can also listen to it on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts. That's everything for today, y'all. Bye now.